What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, bringing you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by the trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing this week? Good. Things are good. Herd immunity. It's fake news. Doesn't exist. But we're doing good. Yeah, you know, as as we get all these reports of uh, herd immunity probably not being you know, a realistic thing that's going to happen at this point. Uh, festivals are, you know, rolling out their lineups, everything's opening back up, and it's just like, all right, well, you know, we got enough people. We're going <laughs> to, those who don't want to get it are taking their chances at this point, I guess. So, I'm Brady uh, Shrug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you can do. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to be talking a lot of different things today. We got a couple of TV shows, we got a movie, and we got some albums. We're going to be starting with the Golden Globes, because uh, just a couple hours before we record this lovely Monday, May 10th, it was announced that NBC has terminated their contract, will not be carrying the Golden Globes next year. Um, Obviously, we've been talking quite a bit about the issues with the Golden Globes and, um, you know, their need to reform the, you know, all the hit pieces came out about them right before the show. They rolled out a couple of the members of the Hollywood Foreign Press to say, hey, we, we read those articles too, and we're going to, to change, we're going to reform. And NBC's like, wow, we're, we're canceling you on our network. Is this the end of the Golden Globes, Dave? It's a great question. I have to imagine a something will exist, whether they keep the name or not, in addition to the Oscars. They're just, you know, eyeballs for this kind of sort of thing, even if those eyeballs are declining. So maybe a brand new press organization that has credibility, unlike the Hollywood Foreign Press, maybe something could rise from the ashes with a different group of people. And you would figure that that organization also would not be subject to all the ridiculous things that the HFPA has done around the Golden Globes, like the incessant campaigning and obviously a really problematic record when it comes to minority uh, award nominations, let alone wins. So there's definitely an opportunity here to make something greater. Uh, But for now, it just seems like it was, you know, result of all the protests and activism in a certain sense, you know, to kind of clean this kind of stuff up. And the HFPA clearly was not uh, doing a good enough job despite all this slew of headlines that continue to come out and like it just you know it's probably not something worth saving but i'd replace it in some manner yeah you know uh for as sad as it is i think it's definitely the award show that gets the second most eyeballs and on a you know obviously it's it kicks off the award the movie award season at least um people like it because it's a looser award show where you know you get to just see celebrities being drunk, not taking things as seriously. Um, so I think there's definitely a space for an award show like this. I think people want to see celebrities being just people and being weird and goofy and fun. Um, but I don't know. It's uh, I don't think they're going to be able to turn this around in just a year. And uh, I can't imagine if they uh, you know, don't get picked up for another place next year. Maybe they move to you know, like an online, like uh, only type show um, that that would definitely lose a lot of steam. It, it really opens the door for one of these other award shows, you know, like Bag or uh, I, I guess that's probably at uh, two <laughs> time too. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't think like the Guild Awards are going to step up here, and the BAFTAs are such a localized thing. Um, but the thing with the goals, you know, it's movies and TV. Right. Yeah. And I actually think it's probably worthwhile to continue that format of combining the two, not combining the two, but having the two on at the same time, just because the uh, lines can get blurred when it comes to movies and TV in terms of how they're consumed and enjoyed and all that and made and everything. Right. So, yeah, that's the thing. If you make something, especially if it has new branding, are you going to get the nine million people that you? got this year which was a huge decline like i don't know about that you know and how interested are people going to be to participate 
and watch if it's just kind of another thing similar to the guild awards right where it's like you know it's not really public i don't know it's uh there's, there's obviously there's a lot of information we don't have about what's uh planned for the future but um this is uh you know pretty pretty wild i'd say yeah, especially because, I mean, part of, I think, what gets the eyeballs on is it just it sets the tone for the awards season. You know, it kind of sets the favorites, maybe, like, lays out some of the narratives for awards we will kind of see at the Oscars or races that we'll see throughout the the lead-up to the Academy Awards. So it's just, uh, you know, something has to take the, take its place. Something has to be the, the tone setter for the race season. But, you know, numbers are down, hopefully, with – all the movies that are, will be coming out this year, check out our 2022 Oscars preview breakout that we uh, did last week, youtube.com slash nostalgia pod. There'll be more interest in these in, you know, award shows, the Oscars this coming year. Uh, I don't know, it's, it's ripe for something to move into that space. I just don't know what it's going to be um, or if anything will, maybe it will just be an empty space. Just fe- it feels like a bad year for it with all the exciting stuff uh, you know, potentially on the horizon for movies. So we'll be uh, keeping our thumb on the pulse of this story as it breaks down, develops um, a little bit more. But Dave, you mentioned to me that you watched a show on Netflix that I hadn't even heard of called The Innocent. Tell me about this. Yeah, The Innocent came out last two Fridays ago, the April 30th on Netflix in full, eight episodes, a Spanish show based on a novel from uh, Harlan Coben. Sorry, I messed up my handwriting here. Yeah, Harlan Coben. And Harlan has this big deal with Netflix, and he has a bunch of novels, and this was, I believe, the first one to be adapted, Innocent or El Innocente in Spanish. And this was a show set in Barcelona, made... um, in that region of Spain, starring uh, a lot of people, a lot, of, a lot, a lot of Spanish actors, and it's. I think it's actually a really fascinating show because of the way it's structured, and it's a uh, eight episode, you know, mystery, crime mystery series. Each episode starts out with the narration, POV of a character, but the the, the, the you know the, the twist there is that each episode starts with a different character's POV. And going from episode one to episode two, it works really well. And episode one and episode two feel like two different shows. At the end of episode two, those two characters kind of meet. And you're like, oh, shit. They're like a really like solid, sticky hook to that mystery, that, that intrigue. And then this, this, this show really went off the rails. I was honestly baffled with how much steam uh, this, this series lost over the course of an eight-episode run. It's... Just the, I think it's a lot of easy mistakes. It's just an overly complicated plot, way too many characters, way too many side plots. It felt like it was padded out. And towards the end, when you get, you know, episode seven starts off and you get that new character's POV. It's a character you already met, but you hadn't gotten their POV of certain things yet. From the jump, you're like, I don't need this. No, can we keep progressing the main storylines? And like, it just felt like, like uh, the show was running out of steam. And sure enough, I found it very unsatisfying, but it, it was, it was again, kind of funny. Like I thought it was a really good setup, a really good hook and it looks great. And the acting is strong, but man, like there's, there, there's, there's this great example of hammering plot into your brain. There's just way too much. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. You know, as you were talking, it almost sounds like, the type of show that would benefit from just condensing itself a little bit down to maybe, well, I don't know how many episodes was this like eight or 10, maybe down to like six or five. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Something like that. Huh, well, yeah. you know, it sounds like for a Netflix show, it was at least like an interesting concept. Yeah. And I, I would say like, you know, it, it looks nice. It's well acted. Um, it, it seems well made. And, you know, maybe for a lot of people, they might be very satisfied with seeing all this plot and all these twists, but to me, it just got a little extraneous and, uh, uh, you, you kind of lost your center of like what you were rooting for, what the central conflict you're supposed to care about versus all the other conflicts. So a uh, bit of a mess in the end, but uh, I'll be, I'll be looking out for the next uh, novel they adapt. 
from uh, Harlan Coben because it seems like uh, it's pulpy shit. So, you know, Nuda's potential for the next one to be better. Well, uh, Dave, I also watched a Netflix show that you did not watch called The Circle. And this is a um, basically a social media media reality TV game show um, where these, uh, I think they have like 13 or 14 people total in the season come on and you can like create this uh, like basically a catfish identity if you want to. Um, you can be yourself. You can be a, a version of yourself that you want to portray on the show. They give you challenges. The people never meet until one person gets kicked off and then they're not allowed to say like the person that they choose to go meet if that person's a catfish or not. So it's all, it's kind of like a blind you know, kind of show that you're trying to figure out if people are being genuine or not. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, the first season I watched, uh, it was definitely a, a new type of show and they were kind of figuring it out. And what happened basically in the um, first season was uh, the top three people were like these very genuine people who were playing themselves in the game. And it seemed like they were almost rewarded for that, that they were, you know, liked in the show because they were just being themselves. This season was kind of the opposite. Um, in the final five, I think three were catfish um, and two were genuine. And uh, I think one of the genuine people came in second, but the catfish won this season. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I, you know, I think it, um, if you go back and watch the season, I definitely don't think the person that won um, their name was, uh, I believe, Trevor. Um, that was the character in the show, but Delisa, his wife was playing him. Um, she won, you know, she was a, a great character, but the runner up was uh, this girl named Chloe Veitch, who was also on the show um, Too Hot to Handle. Which I, Have you ever heard of that show? I have. I don't remember what it's about. All these like shows a, kind of sound the same to me. Yeah. It's a, uh, I'm pretty sure it's like a British, like, dating show or something like that um but she was great she was super genuine nice i, I, I really wanted her to win um i think the really interesting thing <laughs> about to handle netflix hundred thousand yeah. dollar celibacy challenge with sexy singles <laughs> interesting which is really funny because after the show ended it seems like she's now dating a contestant who is like openly a virgin on the show so mm. uh, maybe taking some tips from too hot to handle but um you know, just like I think the one thing I thought was really funny about this season was they had a person who came on and tried to catfish as Lance Bass because they were Lance Bass's uh, personal assistant. So that was like a really interesting wow. um, part of the season. Uh, and overall, just uh, the, the gameplay seems to be getting better. It almost feels like you're watching Survivor um, from those early one seasons as they like start to figure out the gameplay more. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you like stupid reality shows and Kind of mindless things definitely worth throwing on but you know it's a stupid reality show so take that for what it is um but we're going to move on to something that i think we're both a little bit more excited for if you're watching on youtube you can see my background and dave's background in a second and that's star wars the bad batch dropped its first two episodes this past week on may the 4th star wars day and then the following friday may 7th and Dave, you're a little bit more familiar with uh, was Clone Force 99 as they appeared in the Clone Wars um, animated series, which I have not watched and you have. So you're a little bit more uh, aware of these characters than I am. But watching these first two episodes, an hour long introductory episode and like a 30 minute second episode, I felt like this did a pretty good job of laying the groundwork introducing the characters, setting up the conflict, adding some parts to the, the, the gap or some of the holes in the Clone Wars story a little bit, you know, with uh, Executive Order 66 or whatever yep. Palpatine calls it. But yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. It's still a little kiddish for me at times, but overall I thought it was not bad. What did you think of the first two episodes? Yeah, I... Uh... I, I quite enjoyed it. I would say that it's a show that you definitely get more out of if you're a fan of Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. The Bad Batch characters were only introduced uh, last year, 
in the first arc of Clone Wars Season 7, the final season. So that final season only concluded a year ago on May the 4th. So uh, they're new characters. But and it's funny because if you remember at Disney Investor Day last year, when they announced all the Disney Plus stuff for Marvel and Star Wars, among other things, uh, and a lot of Star Wars projects. They also announced, oh, there's another animated show coming out based on the Bad Batch. And I think it, the, the consensus reaction was like, huh, do, do we need that? Like, I don't know if anyone was clamoring for an animated show about the Bad Batch. Like, everyone's really excited for seeing what's up with Ezra in the Rebels. And we assume that'll happen with Ahsoka and the Ahsoka like action show. But still, like, no one's like clamoring for this, right? Like, it's definitely like, going back. But after watching that first episode in particular, and knowing the track record that uh, Dave Filoni has set out himself, and he's not super involved with the Bad Batch, but we have a good track record with Lucasfilm uh, animation at this point. It definitely feels like something that is going to be worth watching. Yes, it's going to be lower stakes at the end of the day. It's a pretty cool show. We know exactly when this is taking place. We know what happens after this. We know what happens before this. It's not going to be the most consequential thing in the world. We're not getting a baby Yoda showing up on the show, although there might be some similarities in terms of how the Omega character functions the way Grogu did for the Mandalorian. But, you know, filling out the timeline, if you care about that and just kind of being a fun hang, like episode to episode, all the other Star Wars animated shows were, uh, if that's your expectations, I have a feeling bad about it's, it's going to deliver. And I thought the first episode was really strong. And definitely immediately erase those thoughts I had about it kind of being having an extraneous feel. So I quite enjoyed the start. Yeah, you know, I, I think as someone that did not watch the uh, last season of Clone Wars from last year, um, I was a little bit concerned that I was going to go into this and they were just going to jump right in. And I was going to probably go back and watch to figure out what was going on, but pretty pretty much they're like yeah if you did not watch that you can figure this out because we're just going to tell you who each one of these characters are what you know what their background stories are uh they explained exactly how they got to be this you know batch of clones who are not you know following orders and think and act differently from other clones um they set up everything with tarkin i think pretty they lay it right out there for you he doesn't like clones so he doesn't want these these clones to be uh Cloning. Yeah. We're ending cloning. Conscription's yeah. cheaper. It's an economic problem. How fascinating. <laughs> Not sure how that works exactly, but go with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in, in listening to it, I was like, it's pretty interesting. They have some decent um, like voice acting on this. I looked it up. Yeah. Just one guy? Dave Bradley Baker. Been doing one this guy? for over 10 years, dude. He voices all the clones. He's a fucking legend. Amazing. Um, yeah, I thought that was a really awesome thing to find out. Um, I do have to say, I mean, Crosshair, like, gave him the most stereotypical bad guy voice ever. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I I think, I think that's where, like, that and obviously, like, spelling things out is where, like, they are trying to thread the needle between the older Star Wars fans and little kids, that, and, like, you know, you see the droid army just acting completely ridiculous and silly and unrealistic. That's what they do. Roger, but yeah, Roger. not a big deal. Um, do you do you feel like the conflict between Crosshair and the other clones is something you're into with with this season? Yeah, so that, that was actually something I quite enjoyed about the, the premiere was that they quickly set up that tension between Hunter and Crosshair, but they don't string him along. I didn't expect the Bad Batch to break off and go go rogue from the Empire that fast, but they really just you know, broke the, broke the back and kept it going, you know. Um, and I like that choice, you know. I was like, well, I string along, you know where it's headed already. So just get to the point. I like that. And yeah, it feels like Crosshair is going to uh, come up here and there. I think there's potential with him in terms of, and this is probably one thing I would have liked to see more of, is just seeing like the Republic turn to the Empire and seeing that transition of sorts. We've got a little bit of it in episode two in terms of like how the citizens have to act with these, uh, you know, these like vaccine passports they have to give to the clones or whatever it is, right? And just seeing that transition would be cool if we could also see it behind the scenes of the Empire. I don't know if we're going to get all that much perspective from Crosshair or, uh, you know, Tarkin or anything. I feel like we're really going to stick with uh, the main crew here, but 
uh, just kind of seeing that transition and seeing everything get filled in. I think there's at least potential for Crosshair to be a part of that. But yeah, it feels like he's going to be the, the hunter. They're the hunted. You kind of you get, you get the vibe. Yeah, I, I like that choice as well. And I also kind of like how, you know, it seems like maybe he is a little bit more clonish than the rest of the Bad Batch yeah. and how that will be like a struggle almost, you know, similar to, you know, every Star Wars main character be, you know, the, the dark side or the, the light, so to speak. So I thought that was interesting. We get a couple of, uh, of people showing up here, right? So um, we had, what, Saul Guerrero? Yeah, um, that's right. Right off the jump, which I was like, I, you know, obviously I'm not super familiar with him. I've read, you know, and, and heard about him in this universe. Um, but yeah. I was like, huh, to get him this early on, seems like they're just kind of really tying in some of these connections here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Didn't expect to see Saw so soon. Obviously, he was originated on Clone Wars before Force Whitaker played him in Rogue One. Uh, so that was that was cool. Obviously, got Tarkin. Uh, I like seeing the Kaminoans, the cloners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's, again, there's more potential with them because that's just a big question. It's like, what happened with the cloners after the Empire said, we don't want no clones no more? Like, why did uh, Nala say let them go by keeping the, the blast doors open so they could escape? You know, there's there's some interesting threads here. And like, yeah, they're not questions anyone was like super jazzed to get answered, but I think I'll be happy to see them answered nonetheless. Um, we know from the, the, the trailer that Fennec um, you know, when's character from the Mandalorian will be showing up on this? That's that's cool synergy for sure. And of course, we expect Captain Rex to be here as well. Um, in terms of other like plot stuff, uh, as you mentioned, Crosser, he's more clonish, right? So I think probably the biggest bit that people who have seen Clone Wars like yourself would miss, and one of the best aspects, one of the best stories about Clone Wars was in I think season five or six, season five. You learn why the clones committed order 66 you learn that they have a chip in their brain and they're basically programmed in a sense to act uh the way the cloners intended and all that and crosshair kind of got a tune-up in the premiere so his chips like you know back back functioning whereas the bad bat the rest of the bad batch apparently so we're told don't really have functioning chips that's what tech explained to us right seeing more about that and seeing more about just the clones. That was a great thing about the show Clone Wars too. Was it humanized the clones? They were just cannon fodder, yeah. faceless, uh, you know, images in the prequels. And there, you know, there's a lot more here. So again, like it's not going to be a revelatory thing, nor it's going to be a zeitgeisty thing. But uh, I'm happy to be with it. And it's going to be a long season, longer than the past few Clone Wars seasons. I think we're getting 16 episodes, so this will be going uh, into August by the look of it. So that's nice. Definitely. Just uh, as we wrap up, what do you think of the stuff with uh, Caleb and Deepa Balaba? Oh, yeah. So that was also unexpected. Uh, Caleb, the Padawan you see there, is uh, becomes Kanan, who is a central character in Star Wars Rebels. So that was a huge moment for anyone who has seen Rebels, of course. That, 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 that story was actually portrayed in the Kanan comic slightly different ways. So There's a bit of a retcon, a bit of a tweak to how Order 66 effective Kanan, Master killed all the same, Devil Balaba, of course, if you remember, is seen on the side in Phantom Menace when Anakin is getting the test from Mace Windu. She's there, she's there chilling. Does she speak? No. But you saw that character way back in 99, if you recall. Pretty cool. Definitely. I thought that was a really awesome way to just to start the episode. Great tone setter. Um, so, Order 66 always hits, man. No matter how many times you see it, yeah. it's always effective. <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll check back in with the Bad Batch um, later on in the season. We're going to move on to some music now. Uh, we're going to start in Brighton. The Brighton Boys, Squid, right. dropping their <laughs> first album, uh, Bright Green Fields. You know, we got this. Uh, this is a five-piece group we talked about. Uh, Black Country, New Road, mm-hmm. about Black Midi recently, and this punk, funk, sprout punk. rock, whatever, mm-hmm. however you want to yeah. really define it, sound continues here. Did, did it hit for you the same way it did with Black Midi and Black Country? That's a, that's a good question. And Black Midi has an album coming up in a few weeks we'll be talking about, so make sure oh, yeah. you subscribe to YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod so you don't miss that review. And go back and watch the Black Country, New Road review if you missed it. 
And yeah, I think that's a great place to start because I think about them very similarly to Black oh. Mini. Black Mini, I think they sound a little different. They're like even more distorted and, and out there, right? Yeah. But Black Country New Road and Squid seem very similar to me. They, and from what I understand, they have very similar origins coming up in that scene around London and Brighton over in England. So when we talk about this Roxy in general as being very interesting, perhaps one of the most interesting scenes in rock there is right now, if, if you can even call rock having multiple scenes at this point, right? But uh, yeah, it, it felt familiar to me. But because it's so out there and uh, unique, it's still interesting. Even if it's like, you know, the second half of an eight minute song that's mainly instrumental. It's like, yeah, do I need to listen to that again? No, but I'm still interested to hear it. You know, we talked about a band recently that's popular, but makes music that's not very interesting because it's super similar to a very famous uh, legacy band, Red Event Lee, uh, Black Country New Road, Squid, Black Midi. No, there's no touchdowns with them. They're, they're doing their own thing. Yeah, I, I think there's like pieces, right? Like you can hear a little bit of bands like, you can hear the, the talking head influence, I think, in terms of like some of the brass, some of the, you know, uh, the horns bringing in non-traditional drums. Uh, like, you know, there's definitely like some bongos on here at times and things like that. But like, I think there's like pieces that you can pull from. There's definitely like some metal influence, you know, uh, punk obviously is here but i think to blend it together the way that these bands do this is exciting because this is something that feels very unique and uh just like happening which is really exciting for rock like you mentioned there's not a lot of uh, new and exciting stuff i do feel like and i agree with what you said black midi i think hits a little bit more consistently from their uh the, the album we reviewed two years ago now um but I think this was a little bit more up and down in terms of tempo and pace for me. There are some songs that I thought I thought were on par, if not better, than some of the Black Country stuff. And then there were some songs I just, you know, wanted to skip through pretty quickly. Um, you know, and I think when they were at their best is when they were bringing the energy. Something like the second track, GSK. I thought that that track totally ruled. Um, there's a song shortly after called uh, the like the documentarian or something like that, the documentary, um, which I, I thought that song. Oh, documentary filmmaker, yeah. Yes, I thought that song was a big snoozer. So, and then that, that was a more like chilled out, like, you know, uh, gazy type song. So I think where I enjoy their music most right now is when they're just bringing that like raw yeah. energy, when it's a little bit more like, eh, I don't know, tone back, I'm not as with it. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I think it starts off with that kind of song, Resolution Square. You have like this really high tempo inspired drumming. And then you have the lead singer just belting it out. And like, tough to explain, but like the way he, I guess, the, I guess his vocal delivery is reminiscent of other bands, but it, it's so energetic and it really matches the instrumentation. It's, it's really enjoyable. Um, and those are definitely the songs I like the most. Those are the ones that felt most familiar to me after just recently listening to Black Country New Road. Um, I think a song like was it Boy Boy Racers. Boy Racers, I really love that first half. And then because these are weird dudes, they're like, hey, here's another four minutes of just kind of extended outro. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. I, I guess that's, that's cool. <laughs> But like, yeah. even when I don't like care for moments, and yeah, I think there's plenty, plenty of snoozers or plenty of songs that are just like they're just kind of strange or odd, or or they're just loud. You know, maybe not not everything's like low tempo either. It's like they're just kind of loud. They're yelling. They're doing whatever there is, and it's like uh, I'm not really getting into this either. But they're doing they're doing weird shit. Yeah, that's what that's what I'll come back to. It's like I just respect them doing 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 it. You know going for it <laughs> yeah no i i agree and I, and i think the weird shit like stands out the most to me on a track like the closing track um pamphlets because the guy's like has this like screeching vocal there's like i don't even know what instrument this is i was trying to figure it out where it's like a like a squawking sound almost kind of uh yes. yeah i wasn't sure either yeah but it, it just like really is unique and stands out on that and it adds like this really fun vibe to the song um and it's, it's eight minutes but that song totally grips me um 
you know, something like Heel Street feels a little bit more in the black midi type range, or even something like um, the track, uh, well, I just had it here, um, 2010, you know, where it's just like this, like screaming raw energy coming from them that it's a little bit more like punkish, I think, but I think there's a lot to like here. Um, I also really like narrator um, Martha Sky Murphy's like whispering type vocals. I, I thought really added this like eeriness to like the the tension of the song. So, you know, I I was really impressed with this record for the most part. Again, not not a perfect record, but a lot to like. And uh, yeah, I really want to keep digging digging into the scene, and we will with Black Midi because probably the most exciting thing we've had to talk about with rock in a really long time. So absolutely. Since, at least since we've been doing the pod. Um, so yeah, check them out. The squid we're going to be talking now, moving on to a different part of the world. NCT dream, Dave dropping their first, I guess their first actual album. They're, they're part of a larger collective NCT. Um, yep. And this is their first album in terms of their like subgroup, which is yeah. again this is subunit. So mm-hmm. this is something that is a little different than you typically get in the United States pop world. But I thought this had some pretty awesome tracks on it. Um, Hot Sauce, the first album, um, dropped today. Did you like this album? I really did like this album. I did not know what what to expect all that much. We talked about the fourth NCT subunit quite recently wavy and wavy exists because they are specifically targeting chinese audience singing in chinese and nct of course the very big all-encompassing sm entertainment k-pop group over 20 members lends itself to having multiple groups within the big group understand that in the case of nct dream which has been out around a few years but been mainly releasing eps they initially were created to target like like teens because everyone in NCT Dream at the time of founding were, were teenagers themselves. And I guess that's an interesting strategy. You don't really see something like that. Because again, like something like NCT, this gigantic group that people can come in and out and do their thing, mm-hmm. just really like isolated to the K-pop world. You don't see that anywhere else, right? And from what I understand with NCT Dream, the original plan was this like graduation system where once you were no longer 18, you would graduate off the NCT Dream roster and newer idols would take their place, right? And it's actually, I guess, an example of like fans winning out because in 2020, they decided that the original seven members of NCT Dream, led by, um, you know, one of NCT superstars, Mark, uh, NCT Dream was just so popular in its original iteration that no one wanted them to graduate. No, they wanted this group to stay together. And sure enough, that's what they did. And you have the original members finally coming here with hot sauce. So it's kind of an interesting, like like a lot of K-pop groups, there's a lot of interesting meta, meta uh, narratives to it going in. But at the end of the day, even if you didn't know none of that, you have no idea what anything about NCT is, I think it's hard to deny a lot of these songs. There's a lot of really tightly made songs here, as we've come to expect from a uh, a lot of major label k-pop groups at this point yeah that's actually a really interesting concept to have like a group that's the name is bigger than the artists you know yeah. it's like oh you're just going to keep moving people through rather than it being about the actual singers it's really uh, we should maybe talk about that a little bit more at a different time when i can <laughs> formulate some more thoughts around that but um yeah, no, I, I totally agree with what you were saying about the music being undeniable. And I feel like it starts out pretty much right from the jump. I thought the first track in the title track, Hot Sauce, was just a really like gripping and, and fun pop song right, right away that pulled me right into the album. And then following up with maybe my favorite song on the album, um, I guess it was a couple of tracks later, but um, Dive Into You, the third track, I thought was really, really strong. Um, this fun pop k-pop sound so i i don't know i i think there's a little bit of range on here you know there's a little singingness a little bit more of like the the boppy like fast-paced singing but um overall i thought they did a lot of stuff well what were the tracks that stood out to you yeah i agree i feel like I, we said this before with the shiny come back and wavy but like a tight package 10 songs 35 minutes there's surprising amount of range on the album 
I agree. I think it starts off really strong, hot sauce, diggity, dive into you, very familiar, but familiar for a good reason because they're really effective, you know, bouncy K-pop songs. Dive into you in particular, I thought that chorus really shined. Quite enjoyed that. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Countdown three, two, one. That's probably the best example of hip hop. They're not like the biggest rappers as far as like K-pop rappers go. Like, I feel like they, they really stick to more of the more more pop leaning. Um, and then you get the the more balladry, slower stuff to you know round it out. So, like I feel like a lot of these K-pop records, whatever your fancy is within the all encompassing sound of K-pop, it seems you're getting that on this. And I'm not super familiar with those other NCT Dream uh, EPs thus far. I believe there's four of them, but um, and, and that's another thing too. It's like the NCT Dream, like like their identity. As like like the way the identity makes sense to me, they're they're literally using a different language. But for NCT Dream, it's like, do they stand out as like a very distinct group apart from say NCT One Two Seven, the other big subunit of NCT or NCT Proper, which has released albums quite recently too? Like, like does NCT Dream really feel like musically sound that different? I don't know enough to say that. Obviously, yeah. these seven guys led by Mark who um, was in Super M and is a big, big K-pop force as Overguard. These seven, seven uh, Dream 7, like they're, they're clearly connected with their fans. But is the music actually that unique compared to the other projects everyone's involved in? I can't say, you know? Because yeah. like, it, it, it feels familiar to me. It's good, but like, it does feel familiar. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that is, um, you know, one of the things about K-pop. And, you know, we've talked about Quite a few K-pop stars, but there is like a very like almost a very recognizable sound, and I feel like a lot of these songs are in line with that, like you said. But I also feel like you know, like a, a like the ones that you mentioned, those first three tracks, I really liked Rocket and L. Like you hear those a, a lot on like even like a similar sound even on like American pop charts at this point there's a formula to a lot of these pop songs so mm-hmm. even if they are you know kind of in, in the same vein as a lot of these things they're still making really quality songs and if obviously they're getting enough attention where whether they're standing out for their sound or for just who these guys are they're, they're doing something that is really connecting with their fans and that's more than a lot of groups ever end up doing so good good on them i wish i i wish i spoke uh, korean because i would have like to know more on like what the lyrics were saying but right i, I yeah. enjoyed the songs where they, they do sing in american a couple of times gotta go gotta go american <laughs> english wow <laughs> american asshole right here <laughs> you can go on youtube and turn on subtitles and you kind of get the auto-generated stuff to keep up uh, i found that i've done it for bts and like it's it works you know for the most part but yeah i mean with the music you can connect with the music without understanding anything they're saying it's a good sign yeah, no question. <laughs> I know it's funny as you were saying that. I'm like, yeah, BTS is definitely one of the groups that stands out to me as like you know a more unique sound. Then I was like, oh yeah, because they're BTS and they're you know the most famous <laughs> group in the world. Right. So. Also, uh, I wanted to note um, today on Twitter, the release day May 10th for for Hot Sauce, uh, there was a K-pop trend, worldwide trend happening, but it wasn't NCT Dream. Like they were trending too, but a higher up trend was the, the uh, latest comeback for. Uh, for XO, which is the other gigantic SM band that's a few years older than NCT. And I found that incredibly strange that SM would announce a hotly anticipated comeback for XO the very same day one of their other marquee groups is releasing something. Because yeah. they every they're all they're all super tactical with how they promote everything on social media and stuff. Why on earth would you do that on the same day? You're just sucking the air out of NCT Dreams like big day, you know. Stepping What's on your own that? product. Kind of interesting. Well, uh, we'll be talking about more K-pop releases as they come. Let's move to Oakland. That's right. We're going to be talking about All Black here, who this is the first time I think I've really listened to him. I I recognize the name, though. So maybe you can enlighten me on why that is, or maybe it's just something that Mm -hmm. um, the name just looks familiar for whatever reason. Dropping, this is his first album, right? Or second he calls it his debut album. He has a litany of wow. EPs out thus far. Yeah. It's, it's far from his first drop, first drop. He's 29. Yeah. I, I was, you know, obviously doing a little bit of background research. It's like, oh, debut album. There we go. And then I went on Spotify and I was like, 
this his discography is like ten mixtapes deep. I was like, oh okay, well, I don't I don't really know what to do here. But um, yeah, thank you for fucking with me. Dy four fwm debut album, I'm all black. Um, I don't know what to say about this album, Dave. I'll, I'll I'll let you go first. Was this an album you were looking forward to anticipating? Right, so I wasn't like anticipating it any more than the next All Black release, just because I wasn't like thinking the debut album was forthcoming. I don't know. I mean, you, you look at this guy, I guess I kind of viewed like out calls as his debut album if you look at the list of them. But he's released a lot of stuff, you know, usually 40 minutes or less for the most part. They all sound the same. So I don't know if this really feels any more album like than his other stuff, but either way. Uh, happy to listen to it, of course, just because I'd gotten into him uh, several years into his career because, you know, he was on the GEZ West Coast remix. And I think that was a really great feature from his because he follows up Blueface. Blueface very famous for uh, boxing the beat, if you will, not always staying in rhythm with it. Then you have All Black showing up and totally burning the beat down and like not having any interest in staying in pocket on the beat. And I'm like, oh, who's this? Then I understand, oh, the Jeezy connections because they're both Oakland boys. Makes sense. Jeezy pops back up, of course, on Thank You For Fucking With Me. Then I get, you know, do a little digging and I'm like, huh, All Black is just like one of those like local hometown heroes at this point for, 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 for Bay Area rap, for Oakland in particular. Uh, his song Canadian Goose from 2017 uh, was a big hit with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Clay Thompson, in particular, really expressed his uh, love for the song. They played it at their victory parade and apparently a lot during the season in the locker room. So he's made a name in the Bay long before he had any real national recognition. You know, he had that Kenny Beats project a few years back. He seemed to be slowly rising. And I really think that G-Easy look uh, gave him uh, or exposed him a little bit more to. The national audience, I think, and, and if you think about it, like all the West Coast rappers from the Bay, the Bay rappers, I feel for the most part, they lot they don't make national names all the time. Like obviously, we know G Easy; he's ascended to pop because of what he looks like. Other than that, like in discounting the legends like E Forty and Too Short aside, no one really seems to make it all the way through, right? Like we talked about Wild Dead Four Thousand. We got SOBRB. We talked about Pilo. A lot of these guys, it's like you're either really up on your rap to know who they are, or you might just recognize the name because they're on a bigger artist song like All Black was with that Jeezy mm-hmm. thing, right? But I feel like, and I feel you listen to this. Thank you for fucking with me. I don't think All Black's doing anything to compromise who he is or what this Bay rap sounds like. And I don't, so it's so, a long way of saying, I don't think All Black's like going to become like a national rap star or anything. He's just going to be yeah. a legend in, in, in the Bay. And that's totally fine because this is very much Bay Area shit and it fucking bounces and I think it sounds good. I think the biggest sticking point probably with All Black is if you can get a handle on his flow because like I said, he really, he, he raps quite fast. From what I understand, it's actually there's a Detroit influence on uh, the, the Bay sound and that really comes out in All Black. And as a result, you know, the pockets of the, of the beat uh, are often conflicted with the flow and it's uh it, it can be interesting at times i think when you have like a, a lesser song from someone who sounds like this it does kind of feel a little jumble but i also respect that he has that really rapid fire flow and he's doing it on those bouncy bay beats so i enjoy it yeah bouncy is the right way to describe it and i think you know i thought there were some songs on here that really stood out the first track life of a p uh super fun energetic almost kind of reminds me of like a like in the same family as like fade from kanye in terms of like the the bass that bum 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 like kind of thing um but you know as i was listening back to a couple of these tracks today and you know second time around i usually am like ah there's a moment i wanted to catch here or like kind of like go back to this i started noticing that a lot of the songs sounded very very similar to me (laughs) and i think that would probably be my biggest knock while i think he seems like a really talented rapper and like he he actually just seems like he's 
like you said, going to be a legend in his own right in terms of just the technical abilities. I think there's a lot of sameness in terms of the production on this, and the sound on this, and I think the lack of variety. Uh, the second time kind of digging through, I was like, eh, I don't know, I was, I was kind of losing interest. Now I do have to say, that half of the album, you get a Vince Staples feature. I per- perked back up at that. <laughs> I thought Vince was great. Um, that was a great Vince performance. I thought that song in general was really nice because that's actually a little different speed for All Black, yes. too, on that song, though. We straight sucking the last song. And you get Vince with a really inspired feature. I thought that was a great great pairing. Yeah, I that that stood out to me, perked me back up. But, you know, Life of a P, I think I really liked, um, was it P's and Q's? Yeah, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. P's and Q's, too. Um, and then definitely We Straight were like the top three for me. Also, I thought Do or Die with Sada Baby, a little underwhelming, but still always enjoy yeah. seeing Sada Baby on the track. So, so what stood out to you? Yeah, speaking to the sound, 10 of the 14 songs are produced by DTB, who is a less famous DJ who's made a lot of stuff for the Bay. I actually don't know if he's based in the Bay, but he's made a lot of stuff for you know people in the Bay. And, you know, I, I think that's the thing. It's like, if you like this kind of stuff, you're happy to hear the, you know, the, the, the classic, the, the the three bounces on the drum to kick off the beat, and next thing you know, you listen to a big beat, you know? Pilo didn't produce anything, but they're very reminiscent of how Pilo makes his songs. Um, I'm happy to just hear that bounce, because in general, like I said, you don't really get anything indebted to Bay Area production on a national scale, unless it's something like DJ Mustard or making stuff for YG, and then I catch you really making LA music. So... You know, I, I think you have to be listening to this for that, like, specific scene. It's like when you listen to, D, like I said, Detroit rap, right? Like, uh, Lil Yachty just released that Michigan Boy Boat project. If you were a Lil Yachty fan, if you were an Atlanta rap fan, you're like, what the fuck is this? But if you were a Detroit rap fan, you like Michigan rap, you would actually recognize him doing something different there. That's why I feel like you have to listen to All Black and be like, this is Bay music. Yeah. You have to listen to it for that. You know what I mean? Um, and in terms of all black, you know, I think he's he's interesting to me because he 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 actually was a pimp in his earlier days. He didn't just rap about being one; he actually was one. But he doesn't actually brag about it all that much. You get to kind of like listen for the metaphors to actually pick up on it in his music, which I appreciate. Um, but yeah, as a performer, I think I, I like I like his stuff on Ego, which is also produced by Kenny Beats. Funny enough, but um, yeah, I think this. I guess it's a nice place to start, but all of his projects, I think, have that thing. They all sound, he, he sounds pretty consistent throughout, and that can feel samey. I, I totally agree. But you just have to kind of, I think, pick out what you like and listen to it for the specific, you know, uh, subgenre that it is. Um, and actually, a note about We Straight with Vince Staples. That song had actually come out without Vince's feature in 2018. Then it got re-released on this with the new Vince feature. So I'm very happy about that, obviously. Um, yeah, all black. If you like that Bay Area sound, check it out. Even I think a couple of these tracks, um, Life of a P for me would be the place I would recommend starting and seeing and going from there. Also check out We Straight. But why don't we move on to I think a album we both were really excited to um talk about. You know, um, first off, obviously this is a, a posthumous album for MF Doom with uh, Super What, Bizarre Face, and MF Doom team up. Second album that these two have put out. Last one was, was Star- uh, Zar Face meets Metal Face. Is that 2018. It? Yeah, 2018. I and mean, we, both, we both really like that album, too. Totally. You know, the, totally. uh, I think all of the MF Doom touches mixed with, like, the old school Zar Face, like, straight up rap. <laughs> you know, it's just, like, a shot of adrenaline into our veins. Um <laughs> goes hard and there's there's a lot of that on this you know this was an album that was finished last year almost exactly a year ago um got pushed back with covid like many albums did so it doesn't sound like unfinished doesn't sound like most posthumous albums do where they're kind of like chopping stuff together you know i think of someone like a little like little peep um that was just like completely copy paste uh, yeah exactly um so th- this doesn't feel like that, but it does kind of feel like a, a period on the MF Doom 
you know, uh, career, mm-hmm. which maybe we'll talk about. But what did you just think about the album in general? Super what? Yeah, totally, totally. I liked it a lot. I liked it more than a lot of the other Zarface albums I've listened to. We last talked about them for Zarface meets Ghostface, obviously mm-hmm. Ghostface killer collab. And since then, they had released two other ones that was just Zarface, just Inspect the Deck, 7L, and Esoteric. We didn't have to talk about those. But I, I like this one a lot more than a bunch of the other ones I've heard from them. And it's funny because MF Doom is not on every song. The, do- the do- Doom feels like a guest, a consistent yeah. guest more than anything else. So as a posthumous record, it's, it's, it almost feels to me like how you'll get posthumous verses from like a Juice World popping up mm. once in a while just because Young Thug had the song chilling and he finally got it ready and put it out, right? And he had that verse in the can. It kind of feels like that, like Zorface had made this, this, this collab with MF Doom a little bit and it's come ready to make this so it, it's, it's kind of weird to think of it as like one of the final i don't think it's the final but one of the final mf doom releases right because it's mm-hmm. like it, it's subtle but he's just one of the dudes on this yeah no i, I agree and i actually like that comparison to juice world more right where it, it's like he, you have a verse that's kind of already made popping up i guess it's a little different because you know i guess with doom i think about his sound and like the production around that sound more than I actually like, I guess, think about like a famous verse from him or something like that. But I gotta say, like, I didn't think there was like a a bad song on here necessarily. I thought there were some songs definitely stuck out to me more than others, including, and this, I feel like I'm a bit on repeat say, but the first track, the King and I, you know, it has this long intro to it, but once the song gets going, it's like super triumphant and super upbeat uh, you know, it's got like the xylophone kind of just like popping off to like create this like I don't know like the king has arrived type feel yeah. to it. I thought that track was you know a great like tone setter. And DMC the, booming yeah. bass in his voice just triumphant. Sounds great. Uh, an amazing way to kick it off. And then you know it, this is kind of it's supposed to be like a double album in a sense, like a split album i guess the first four tracks are like, i don't know if that was the mf side or the Zarface side and the second half is supposed to be the other person's side there's a accompanying comic book from esoteric if you want to check that out for this um but i thought some of the stuff on the second half stood out to me a lot um well obviously do to others so it's like right in the middle but i really liked that track a lot um that like slow like in the background like just wrapping over like that it's a pretty typical drum beat but it just like feels very familiar i guess for someone like doom and then uh i guess the other track that i really liked was uh this is canon now i thought that track was awesome and they were were just spitting comic book bars like yeah esoteric in particular uh, his his self-referential style his his reference heavy punchline heavy rapping Mm -hmm. Is I think very much a Starface trademark at this point, right? Yeah. And specifically focused on stuff like nerd culture, right? You literally have a song here called Mando Calrissian, um, <laughs> and like to to those references, right? I think there's so many. Um, early on, you get the bass hits like bass hits on Aaron Judge, which I thought was really <laughs> great. Um, Even though uh, he strikes out five times a game. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not the most uh, <laughs> timely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you don't watch too much baseball, bro. Um, <laughs> but I, I think Esoteric is my favorite reference of all. And again, there's many. You can listen to this multiple times just to listen for references you didn't catch the first time, right? Um, the one where he's like, he rhymes Houdini with Utini, the, the noise the Jawas from Star Wars say. And I'm like, God, I've never heard a Jawa bar before. That was fucking great. Amazing. Also, yeah. in, um, was it a Back in the Action? Break in the Action? Breaking the yeah, action. Breaking There's it. a Hollywood foreign press reference very timely right now with the Golden Globes being canceled. Um, <laughs> oh, and then that was at the end. You got a Cliff Booth reference once upon a time in Hollywood again for the real heads of that one. Well, old buddy. Um, yeah, no, I actually thank you for shouting out Breaking the Action because I also I, I thought that track just you know pound for pound could go up against any of these. It's so jazzy and like I don't know 
it feels like a very smooth track and very much of what you would expect these two to be putting together. And, you know, I think just overall, this is a great pairing. And it's just kind of sad to think that, you know, we got two albums out of it, but who knows how much other really quality music they could have gone on to make as the, you know, MF Doom and Cesar Pace, the group together. Um, yeah. And I mean, what else about the album Sidar? What else did you want to shout out about it? This is the seven L's production always stands out because it, it almost feels like it fits the uh, nerd culture referential vibes that esoteric mm-hmm. particulars all often going for. Um, and like, yeah, just thinking about that, like those beats combined with punchline heavy reference, heavy rapping, it just stands out because it's it's unique to anything else that comes out these days, especially anything that yeah. gets any kind of eyeballs, right? So, and then of course the technical ability is also there, for sure. And INS is again part of Zard Face, so if you want to throw back to the '90s, you certainly can. And hearing INS and MF Doom uh, mm-hmm. and Esoteric, who's an OG in his own regard, hearing them all together rapping their asses off, uh, it's refreshing. It, it, it's fun and yeah. super what also it's a short it's a short record you know I, I i think i listened to the first four songs i just restarted them after i finished them because i'm like i was just so digging it and i was like, let me listen for more more let me catch those lines again you know um yeah so i think most of their albums too really rewarding in that regard to repeat listening which is which is pretty rare in rap no i, I completely agree um definitely worth checking out r.i.p doom um yeah, that's going to do it for us today for music. But Dave, we do have a movie left on our docket. And uh, boy, what a movie it is. Uh, we got our guy. I'm going to, I'm going to call him our guy because I feel like we have been uh, diamond hands on the Andrew Garfield stock. Oh, hell yeah. You know? yeah I, I, I think Andrew Garfield. You know, I would buy the tip right now, the mainstream tip. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, especially with this year coming up again. Check out our. 2020 oscars preview but what was the movie under the silver lake or yeah. yeah that i think that movie though i think there's some weirdness to it we were kind of looking at that and saying like all right garfield he's back from spider-man he's like doing weird shit again like let's let's see where this goes right Not that and, actor just make 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 movies man just do yeah. it and you know I, I guess before that we you know he was in hacksaw ridge and silence um which silence, I think, a little bit less appreciated. Hacksaw Ridge obviously was uh, award season darling that year, 2016. But, you know, this year, we got the eyes of Tammy Faye, Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, which we talked about, and or we're looking forward to those. But here it comes in mainstream, right? This, uh, this movie that was directed by Gia Coppola, I believe granddaughter of... Francis yes. Ford Coppola. Yeah, and um, Sophia. And, you know, he's alongside Maya Hawk, who is someone, you know, you just mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think someone that we really were digging. And, you know, from her, she wasn't, yeah, she wasn't Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and also from Stranger Things right. and just someone yeah. that overall were like, okay, there's something here. Obviously, daughter of Ethan Hawk, but on her own right it seems to be very <laughs> and really looks like your mom at this point in the thermon <laughs> which what a, what a power couple those the, you know those those two were but anyways going back to this movie i thought mainstream was uh just way too on the nose for me um you think <laughs> and you know i it's it's trying to touch on a lot of different things it premiered at the venice film festival in september of last year um, coming out now Nine, on demand. Shot in full in 2019. So it's it's been in the can for a while. Um, but, you know, it's it's really like Garfield turning it up to 11 and just being super weird and everybody else just kind of like around him. And I feel like it, it's almost like too much for any of its meaning to actually land, in my opinion. How, how did you feel about it? Yeah, it's funny because the first like 20 minutes, you're not really sh- sure what the plot is mm-hmm. and i was like huh, is this gonna be like some meditative thing no no actually not at all not at all it's gonna rip right into that plot once you get there and the unfortunate thing is it, it the subtlety is one thing but it also just kind of felt dated like yeah. it's it, 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 it like it's, it's not 
it's not an intelligent satirization of the internet and Gen Z. It, it's not that at all. It's like, what are our what are our surface level like? What's it boiled down to? It's like people are on their phones too much. People are photoshopping their Instagrams. Like that. That's all you got. Is that that's the take? Okay, okay, cool. But like the other thing, like the YouTube thing, is a game show on YouTube. Like that, that doesn't feel even like it's an understanding of how YouTube works and how little kids watch YouTube at all. To be honest, um, watching from you know towards the beginning, I'm like, huh? They going over some like Jake Paul shit, like the hijinks and the uh, actually, actually, honestly, in the beginning when um. Garfield's character, he's more like um, meditative and he's like speaking his thoughts on, on life. I'm like, oh, it actually kind of reminds me of Logan Paul and how like, yeah. Logan Paul speaks on his podcast. And then he actually transitions into more like like gimmicks and um, gotcha stuff. And it's more reminiscent of like early Jake Paul. Mm-hmm. And then Jake Paul himself shows up playing himself later on. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, there's, there's just not an ounce of subtlety, let alone like actual awareness of what it's trying to lampoon. So. I found it awfully frustrating. Yeah, you know, even the casting of like Johnny Knoxville as the talk show host is pretty much like this is the predecessor to all these like stunt type, you know, reality YouTube yeah. stars. Like it's it's not subtle at all. And you, then you kind of like think back to just like the way the movie progresses in general, right? And so it follows. Frankie, played by Maya Hawk, as she's trying to like break into film or art, kind of vague, and even she isn't really sure as a character what she's trying to do. But she's enamored with Link, who's Andrew Garfield's character, um, and just his weirdness, really. And she posts a video of him speaking on YouTube, gets all these hits. So then her and her coworker Jake. Uh, kind of start teaming up to figure out how they can channel this guy's weirdness into some sort of stardom. And I actually think that those parts, even though it does kind of flip pretty quickly, I feel like where like, he's like pretty reluctant and all of a sudden he's like full force, like into the like Jake Paul stunt, like you know, yeah. in someone's I mean, backyard, like succumbs to the fame and the desire yeah. for more. Right. I feel like that happens pretty quick. But I do feel like that's like a fun part of the movie where you're just kind of like along for the ride. And then it pretty, like you said, when it turns into this like game show and Jason Schwartzman shows up and they're obviously being exploited by this like really grimy agent guy. That's when it starts to feel like, "Eh, where is this really like going? And it's, I think the beats are pretty easy to tell. You know, it's this rise and fall of this, person who gets too much fame too quickly and no one actually was like listening to what this guy was saying they just were enjoying the weirdness but like i don't know again i feel like i know he embarrasses this girl on this live youtube alexa game show euphoria fame yeah shout out her which i was like oh it's nice to see you i feel like there's another euphoria person on this too but maybe i'm misremembering but anyways um I just feel like nowadays, uh, if that person was exposed for having uh, edited their pictures, a lot of times it would have been like, yeah, so what? Like, everybody knows this. This isn't something that is like some great revelation that she in her case has a birthmark. You know, it's not like she was making herself not have, you know, like love handles or something. Right. It's like, God, it's like in terms of internet sins, this is very low down the list. Yeah. And especially like, uh, I, I, at least in 2021 internet culture, I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, Gen Z would have been actually very supportive of her and been like, yeah, you yeah. look great with the birthmark. You shouldn't do this. Like you're beautiful either way. Like that's a lot of what I see on TikTok is like people mm-hmm. building each other up. Um, yeah. So again, this, I think going back to your dated remark, this does feel dated um, in that sense. And I just was kind of like, it, I think this is getting a little lost in the sauce here at the end. Right. Also, the, the love triangle of it all didn't make any intrigue for me at all. Did that work for you? Oh, no, 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 it didn't. Um, I did like Nat Wolf's line at the bar, though, where he was like just roasting the kids for having a shitty fake ID. And he yeah. gives him a drink anyway. 
I also really like Johnny Knoxville's bit where he's like, oh, get off the cross. We need the wood. <laughs> yeah, that was, was pretty great cool. life. But um, um, I, I think this would have felt dated even if we got it when it was supposed to come out. Like this was made in 2019, probably would have come out in early 2020. Um, it would have felt dated them too. It's not like this was a victim of the pandemic. I just think its point of view was ultimately a very, very surface level. And I don't want to say uninformed, but just not, Nine depth. Yeah. Luckily, seems like Garfield has better stuff ahead of him, and I think Maya Hawk does too. So, yeah. Add to them. Um, just real quick, what are your thoughts on Jason Schwartzman? You know, I thought he was effective as like a sleazy agent type. It actually reminded me of the kind of this was, this was more updated, just in terms of things now. It's like he maybe he would have played like the weird, like, TikTok creator house manager or something. Yeah, I could yeah. totally see it. Um, this this definitely fell more in line with what he can do outside of Wes Anderson role, less so than say Fargo season four, where he very much fell out of his depth and miscast. Yeah, this this really felt like the correction of his Fargo character to me. You know, like where he instead of him having to be like this like bombastic guy, he can just be like sleazy and you know, grimy. Um, and he, I, thought he, I thought he was pretty effective. I also just don't know if I really think he's like that great of an actor, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> right. neither here nor there, really. Well, I would say if you really want to check out Mainstream, give it a watch, but um, maybe one that you can skip. But if you do watch, leave your thoughts below if you're watching on YouTube or uh, if you're listening on southlaw.com slash nostalgiapod. But Dave, I think that, that does it for us this week. What do, what do we got for next week? Pretty notable music drops. EP from Georgia Smith. Been waiting for new Georgia music for quite some time. Yeah. Also a new album from St. Vincent. And of course, a new album from Jake Cole himself. Been a Jake minute Paul? since we... Jake Paul himself. No, Jake Cole. Oh, Jake Cole. <laughs> I think it's Jake Paul. I was like, what? Yeah, been a Jake few years Cole. for Jake Cole's solo albums. Also... On HBO Max slash theaters, you get Those Who Wish Me Dead, the Taylor Sheridan movie with Angelina Jolie. And then okay. perhaps not as good, we get The Woman in the Window with Amy Adams finally coming out on Netflix. So okay. that's a n- n- notable grouping there. And we also will be doing album rankings separately, so make sure you check that out on YouTube. You mean uh, newest uh, African basketball, Af- African League basketball player, J. Cole? the very same that that very one well uh we'll be talking about him next week again hit that subscribe uh youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and uh also follow our twitter at nostalgia pod where we talk about things that we don't talk about here we'll catch you next week